everybody. Hello, good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're listening to Talk Crooked, the social justice and comedy podcast where two friends laugh, cry, and rage about an unspeakable subject. While enjoying adult beverages, my name is Kay. I'm Carrie. And I don't have an adult beverage today. It's 10 a.m. I have coffee. (laughs) I have Diet Dr. Pepper. Does that count? And it has caffeine in it. Ooh, look at you. So, look out, world. <laughs> I needed a butt kick this morning. I kind of slept in a little bit. So. <laughs> I did, too. But also, but I, I stared at a screen for five consecutive hours yesterday right, reading yeah. a book. So, <laughs> and yeah, then also did that's fair. a test. So... My daughter wanted to play really, really hard last night. She was so wiggly, and it was so, so funny. So I was really tired when I went to bed last night. Oh. And she needed a bath, too, on top of that. So mm. it was it was a long evening. How's she we, doing uh, in her new watched... bed? Uh, we don't have it put together yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, if she's That's on the list of herself. things to get done this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, no, mm. not yet, because she's been super wiggly and weird still. We're trying Uh-oh. to get her routine back together yeah. first. Um, hoping to make that transition this weekend because um, she has been sleeping a lot better. So I think we're we're ready to, to start that again. She was waking up like every two hours and I was like, I'm not getting up physically. <laughs> if you're waking <laughs> up every two hours, I'll just roll over. Yeah. <laughs> and, and hold you. <laughs> so, um so yeah, she's uh we've got her cradle put up in our bedroom, so we should be able to start making that transition again soon. Aww. Um and then I'm gonna try and get her crib put together this weekend so that when she turns six months we can start moving her to her own bed. Aww. Own bedroom. So yeah. Uh, it she's, was so much fun. We've um She's coming up. We've on gotten six really months, into some she? movies. Yes, she is. Couple weeks, one week. I oh don't wow. Know, next week. <laughs> Let's, what's what's the date? The nineteenth. Uh, yeah, next Wednesday. <laughs> She'll be six months next Wednesday. <laughs> oh, wow, God. that's funny. Yeah, yeah, she's getting so big. Um, but yeah, she just she was. We were watching Angry Birds, and it got her really, really excited, and so she was just wiggling Aww. and screaming and waving her arms and legs everywhere and. Hamlet would sniff her in the face and she would laugh and it was just, oh, it was, she was all over the place last night. She wanted to swing and hang upside down and, oh, <laughs> and yell and, oh, it was awesome. She was having a blast. Oh, good. But, yeah. Her, her favorite movie is Rudolph and we've been trying to find other things <laughs> that are not Rudolph because it is February. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, for you guys, it's March, but. To be fair, she did like get born and right into the holiday season so oh that's true oh yeah that's totally fire fair but i think <laughs> uh, my mother-in-law might be about to snap rudolph in half and throw it in the fire at this yeah. point um <laughs> <laughs> so Aww. uh trolls was a big hit because it's okay. got a lot of bright colors and she likes the music and stuff but yeah yeah it was whoo Last night was a lot. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. She slept like all day and then she was like ready to go when yeah. she woke up. I bet. Oh, oh she's, goodness. She's a trip. 
So we're recording this ahead of time, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kay and I are snowed in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Currently. Currently, it's February the 19th, and we are snowed in. And I, we we got six or seven inches out here. Yeah. How much did you guys get? We about the got same? about that much, yeah. And some of it here was like, of course, we both had ice. But like, I had a full sheet of ice in my car that I had to um, spend 40 like minutes through. chiseling through yeah. the other day to get to work. Um I've only been able to work three hours this week, so hopefully I Fun. can get to work tonight. Um, because I'm I'm not working next week because I will be in Oregon, so not recording either. Right. That's why we're recording ahead of time. And right. <laughs> I did not plan to lose two weeks of work, which is going to be fun. But I'm also getting my tax return like March fifth, so there you I'll go. be fine. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> It's just a lot, yeah. My yeah. husband only worked two or three days this week. He's there. To, he's there now because oh, yeah. the, they scraped the road. It finished snowing early, and they scraped the roads. And our lovely neighbor scraped our driveway for us, so oh. he was able to get out and get to work today. Which is why I think I'm going to be able to get out and get over to the old house to use the internet and go ahead and cut this together, so we don't have to worry about it. Oh, um, that reminds me. Everything is named and described and up in anchor. Yay! So far. So, good job. Yeah. Good for you. Thanks. We had to record a bunch ahead of time, guys. Yeah. Because we have <laughs> we have things coming going on. So yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah. It's been it's been interesting, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. I've been snowed in with no internet and barely any cell reception. Oh, so God. that's fun. Um. I missed my friend's entire. Um like self-care workout week thing that she was doing on Facebook <coughs> Oh because yeah. I don't have internet. Yeah. And I got no push notifications for it whatsoever, even though I left my phone in the window all week. Oh, so it's been a good, it's been a good time. I'm really pissed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can go back and do it because she keeps, I know that's up. what she said. She was like yeah. really bummed too. And oh. I was like, I'm sorry. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it really blew. But I did get to cook a lot of fun stuff, so oh, good. There was that. I did I woke a lot up of school the work. First day that we had <laughs> s- the first the first day that we were snowed in, I woke up and I and Remy was sleeping really well, and I was like, I'm gonna go ahead and throw together a pasta sauce mm-hmm. and make a bunch of cookie dough. Nice. We so. had spaghetti that gave me Yum. serious heartburn. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fine. Um. <laughs> I it's totally because I need to lose weight because I'm gross after Corona. Um, I'm really. I mean, everyone is babe. The the quarantine Um, fifteen is a real thing. uh I'm pretty disgusted with myself too. I'm totally right there with you. Yeah. So um, we had that, and also we had a really nice breakfast because I guess about a month ago, I don't know. Um, I grabbed biscuits on a whim, and I was like, one morning, we're going to have a morning where we're just both going to be home, and it'll be nice, and we'll make biscuits. And yeah. that happened. So, we had Yay! biscuits and bacon the other day. Um, oh, yum. Yeah, it was really yeah, good. Yeah, the other um, Valentine's Day morning, I got up, and I made breakfast in, on my, in my new oven <laughs> with my new stove. Yay! And I made, um, I made scrambled eggs and bacon and um, toast. Please tell me your microwave so nothing, is working again. Yeah, we have an extension cord that's running to Good. an outlet, so we can use the the microwave. But okay. um, we haven't been able to get to the electrician to get the wire back. 
<laughs> because there's snow. <laughs> That's right. So, and they didn't scrape our road for like two days. <clears throat> and then, so Josh went to work on Wednesday and they scraped it and it was like really effectively scraped finally. Yeah. Um, he went and it was kind of half-ass scraped mm-hmm. um, that morning. And then they scraped it again and you could actually see the road. It was awesome. And then it <laughs> snowed again. <laughs> so I was like, hey, it's snowing. You should probably come home. <laughs> Like at three o'clock, I looked outside and it was snowing really hard. And I was like, you you need to probably head back. <laughs> yeah. Because it's going to get bad. And it's not like we are bad at driving in the snow. Like I'm really good at driving in the snow. Oh, yeah. Me I too. learned to drive in the snow. Mm-hmm. No one else knows how to drive in the snow. No. So every, it, everyone else on the road is what makes it dangerous for us. Because like we're competent drivers and other people think that trucks give you magic powers. Yeah. And, um, they do not. They don't. And uh, <laughs> four wheel drive isn't magic. No. Um, <laughs> and also, like, it, it would have been a totally different story had I had heat in my car this week. Because mm. I don't have any oh, heat yeah, in my that's car. Right. So, like, my back windshield will def- defrost, no problem. Nothing else will. Oh, honey. Like, it'll, it'll just barely do it. And of course, like, I was driving, I, I went to work. Um, Wednesday, I guess. Yeah, it was Wednesday. I went to work for a few hours because, like, the roads were clear and it wasn't snowing again yet. And I was like, I might as well because I had to take my keys Mm -hmm. in because we didn't think I was going to be able to come tonight or or yesterday or today. And Right, because you live far away from where you work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm driving and, like, I'm behind semi-trucks that are, like, throwing stuff at my windshield, and I'm trying to, like, get it off with my wipers, but also, like, wintry weather, you know how it does to cars. It makes them, like, all gross, Mm -hmm. and I can't use my... It throws, like, the salt and the brine and everything else on on your windshield, and it turns your windshield, like, white. Yeah. And you have to, like, constantly use your wiper fluid. It's terrible. Yeah, and, like, I, I don't trust my wiper fluid because I don't know if it's got de-icer in it or not. And I don't want right. to, like, throw ice onto my windshield while I'm driving right. on the highway. Exactly. Because so. it, it's so cold that it would immediately free- freeze. It yeah. was, like, 17, 17 degrees? 10 mm-hmm. or 17 degrees the other night? Yeah. It's 12 degrees today. And I have... Woo-woo! I have been the dumbass that's used windshield wiper fluid on my car when it's been that cold, and lo Me and too. behold, it froze. It freezes. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've done that too, hundred percent. Even yeah. if your defroster is working, it totally yeah yeah it freezes. It'll still freeze. Yeah. So it was it was a great time. I was just like I don't I don't trust my car to make it. Like it would be like I'm fine to drive right. in it. I just don't trust my car and mom's car is dead. Your vehicle. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yep. And she wouldn't let me use it. She's like, Well, you could get in a wreck and put me out of a vehicle and I was like, I mean that's fair. Like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness gracious. Yeah, it's been a time. It's been a time. But also, I was like, you know, we've got a lot of stuff to do, but also, if we're going to be snowed in, I want cookies. So, fuck it. Fuck you, booty. I don't care. (laughs) Get bigger. (laughs) I wish mine would get bigger. It's my tummy. That's giving me a problem. Yeah, mine too. (laughs) It's my thighs and my stomach. Oh, God. When I get back from upper arms. When I get back from Oregon, hitting it hard. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Once it's not winter and I can actually go outside and exercise again. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a lot easier for me because I'm not an indoor exercise person. Mm-hmm. And while I used to be no, able to like... I pull out my Wii Fit in here now. Yeah. Because now I have a big enough living room, but... I used to be able to like go to the gym and not have to wear a mask while I was working out and be fine, but I can't... Mm-hmm. Can't do I can't that. Work out with a mask on. No. no. There's a gym in my work, actually. So once vaccines happen and quarantine is like over, mm-hmm. I can go to the gym after work and it'll be fine. Yeah. And they have like Pilates classes and shit, too. Oh, nice. Yep, yep. So holding out. <laughs> All right. Well, this week we are talking about Badass, badass Ladies. ladies. So happy National Women's Month. Uh, We are doing like all women's stuff all the way through March. So we're having a really fun time here. Um, I'm excited. Yeah. Women does include trans women. So fuck anyone else who thinks otherwise. Anyone Um, who identifies as a woman. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, like, quick plug for a badass lady that I've been listening to, uh, Kendall Ray on YouTube. She's a true crime person. I, um, she like has 30 minute to an hour long videos and she like uses like news clips and clips of the people involved. And like, it's, she does a really amazing job on every case. That's really cool. Yeah. So highly recommend going and checking her out. I've only been able to watch, like, five of her videos because, like, they're so long and, like, you want to actually watch because she's got all this yeah. stuff. Um, it's not background noise. Yeah. Right? That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, So, um, but, yeah, highly recommend going and checking that out if you love true crime as much as we do. And she's Yay. a badass lady, so. I love it. Yeah. Do you have a badass lady to plug real quick before we get into our stories? Uh, nope. <laughs> I don't. Sorry, that was a like spur of the moment decision. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, no, I've just been listening to a lot of Office ladies. Yeah, I've been catching up. I nice. downloaded a whole bunch of episodes before the snow hit, so it's another reason why I need to go over to the to the old house and use the internet to download some more. <laughs> because. It takes like an hour to download an episode out here, and I got a warning that I'd already used two gigs, gigs of data. Oh. <laughs> so. <laughs> I have downloaded so, yeah. so many movies, and I've downloaded uh, uh, like Netflix series, all this other stuff for my um, plane rides, because I'm just, I'm not going to be able to do homework squeezed in on a plane. So I'm going to be doing yeah. homework like while I'm at my layover. Um, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm I'm really excited. <laughs> well, let's dive in. Yeah. Two badass ladies okay. to cover. Okay. Cool. Um this is going to be interesting because I have to put my phone in the window to pull up my articles <laughs> and there is 7 inches of snow outside my window and it's clear as it's a very clear sky so there's, oh. there's a lot of glare Yikes. happening. So it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Okay. I'm like squinting. <laughs> I can't I can't. Okay. So uh the first person that I found, I uh I plugged in just a ran- like just a general Google search and I pulled up a couple of like list listicle things. Yeah. Um 
Okay, so the the first lady that I found, um, her name is <laughs> Boudica. <laughs> I think I love that's it. That's how you say it. She's from the ancient times. Bootylicious. Um. <laughs> So I don't have any idea how you say this because we don't have recordings of how you say this because it was before lots of things were even written. So, um, (laughs) so this is an article about her. I found her, um, she's a warrior. So I have a warrior and then I have someone who's a little bit more modern that we're going to talk about, um, here in a minute. Um, I can't, I'm going to try and move this down. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. Okay, cool. Sorry, I just couldn't stare into the glare anymore. Okay, <laughs> so um, you're good. She is British, and this is we're talking ancient Brit. So we are in the Celts. Oh Celtic wow! Times. Um, yes. So this is an article from uh, historicuk.com. Um, it was written by Ben Johnson. <laughs> I wrote none of this, so here we go. Um, Britain has produced many fierce, noble warriors down the ages who have fought to keep Britain free, but there was one formidable lady in history whose name will never be forgotten, Queen Boudicca, or Boadicea, (laughs) but that sounds Roman and I won't use it. So, um, as she, and I guess she's more commonly called that because fuck the Romans. The Romans were the worst. Um, Fuck the Romans. (laughs) Uh, oh my god. Talk about colonialism at its worst. Of course, then the British did the same thing. So, I mean, like, whatever. (laughs) White people! All right. So, um, at the time of the Roman conquest of the southern, of southern Britain, uh, Queen Boudicca ruled the Iceni tribe of the East Anglia alongside her husband, clean <laughs> King. I just said clean King. <laughs> I thought you said queen for a minute and I'm like, you her know what? I respect that. No, her husband <laughs> yeah. was a king. Prasitagus. That also sounds think- Roman. It does. But whatever. Um, <laughs> Gus, King Gus, King Gus. Um, <laughs> Boudicca was a striking-looking woman. Quote, She was very tall, the glance of her eye most fierce, her voice harsh, a great mass of the reddest hair fell to her hips. Love it. Her appearance was I love terrifying. It more. How can, I would love yes. to go as her for Halloween. I want to go as her for Halloween, <laughs> but no one would know who I was. That's totally in keeping with every Halloween costume I've ever been in. <laughs> to be honest though I'm just like I found this obscure person they're awesome why does no one know who I am it's it's totally me I would go as like people from books and stuff and people are like who are you okay um but also like the entire time I've known you you've been Sally for Halloween well, like three yeah, years because it's an easy one to just throw on for which work. has been awesome and I also threw yeah. it on for work at CSP and people did not know who I was so how the fuck did they not? Yep. Oh, well, they were all old white men. Yep. Like <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas is for outcasts. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So at the time of the Roman conquest of Southern Britain, I already read that. (laughs) But, 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 but. So she was definitely a lady to be noticed. Uh, The trouble started when, when, fuck, this fucking name. Prasitagus, hoping to curry favor with the Romans, of course, made the Roman Emperor Nero co-heir with his daughters to his considerable kingdom and wealth. Dumbass. Oh my god. Men are stupid. Yes, they are. He hoped by this ploy to keep his kingdom and household free from attack. Why would you think that? It was Nero. (laughs) (laughs) He was the literal worst. (laughs) He fiddled while Rome burned. But no. Yeah, for real. Unfortunately, the Roman governor of Britain at the time was... Oh, God. (sighs) Fucking Roman names. Suetonius (laughs) Paulinus. (laughs) Tony, who had other ideas... (laughs) Who had other ideas on the subject of lands and property. Of course he did, because he was a piece of shit. After Presitagus' death, his land and household were plundered by the Roman officers and their slaves. Not not content with taking all the property and lands, Suetonius and Presitagus' widow, who had Presitagus' widow, Boudicca, publicly flogged and her daughters were raped by Roman slaves. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Don't like any yep. of that. Yep. Pillaging and plundering is not fun. No. That's okay. that's one thing Otherwise, I do City love Chiefs. about, like, season one of Game of Thrones, when um, Daenerys sees how they treat the women of the places mm-hmm. that they conquer, and she makes them stop mm-hmm. and call Drogo... Yep. backs her up like that was one of my favorite things ever yeah they are goals i love them also <laughs> jason momoa is a god okay um other iceni ch- chiefs suffered in a like manner and their families were treated like slaves which is terrible yeah not surprisingly these outrages provoked the iceni <laughs> The Iceni Trinabantes, I don't know how to say that, and other tribes to rebel against the Romans. I unfortunately don't <laughs> speak Old English, so I don't know how to say these these words. Um, I really <laughs> wanted to get my PhD in really old no. lit, but <laughs> that didn't happen because that costs money. So... Um, the Britons had fir- the Britons at first had great successes. They captured the hated Roman settlement of. Um, Camelognum? Which sounds like something you throw up. (laughs) Uh, Colchester is what it's it's called now. Um, And the Roman division there was... uh, And the Roman division there was was routed. The the imperial agent fleeing to Gaul, wherever the fuck that is. Boudicca and her allies gave no quarter in their victories. That means they took no prisoners. Fuck. Yeah. No, they didn't. <laughs> they took no quarter in their victories. And when Londinium, which is London, and v- Ver. Oh, fucking Latin. 
This is why no one speaks it anymore because it's stupid. No, I think it's fun. Verulamium, which is now St. Albans, which (laughs) makes no sense. Um, (laughs) Those places were stormed and the defenders fled to the towns, fled and the towns were sacked and burned. The revolting Britons even desecrated the Roman cemeteries. Hmm. Spit on those graves. Mutilating statues and breaking tombstones. Some of these mutilated statues can be seen today in the Colchester Museum. Wanna go? <laughs> yes, finally, I do too. Finally, Suetonius, who had made a tactical withdrawal, meaning he had fled, <laughs> um, with his troops to relative sa- to, into relative safety of the Roman military zone, he decided to challenge Boudicca. He assembled an army of 10,000 regulars and auxiliaries, the backbone of which was made from the 14th Legion, whichever that means. Um, Roman historian Tactic- Ta- Tacitus and his a- Annals of Rome, <laughs> that sounds like he made up that name for himself. Um, oh no, the Roman historian. Sorry, <laughs> this is the guy writing everything down. My bad. I thought this was some dude <laughs> who was now, and he was like, "I'm a Roman <laughs> scholar. No, I'm gonna name myself Tacitus." All right. Um, <laughs> he gives a very vivid account of the final battle, which was fought in the Midlands of England, possibly at a place called um, Mansetter, Man- which probably sounds kind of like Ma- Ma- Manchester to me. Yeah, uh, near New- Nuneaton. In AD 61. That's where we oh. are. AD 61. The year of our Lord. 61. That's not long after he died. Yeah. Chew on that. Chew on that. Boudicca and her daughters drove drove round in her chariot to all her tribes before the battle, exhorting them to be brave. She cried that she was descended from mighty men, but she was fighting as an ordinary person for her lost freedom, her bruised body, and her outraged daughters. Perhaps, as taunt to the men in her ranks, it is said that she asked them to consider, quote, win the battle or perish. That is what I, a woman, will do. You men can live on in slavery if that's what you want. Bam, drop the mic. <laughs> Love her. Yeah, she's my hero. Um, <laughs> I want her <laughs> tattooed upon my person. The Britons attack. The Britons attacking the cr- uh, attacked, crowding in the Roman defensive line. The order was given, and a volley of several thousand heavy Roman javelins was thrown into the advancing oh. Britons, followed quickly by a second volley. The lightly armed Britons must have suffered massive casualties. Yeah, because they were like tribes. They weren't. Yeah. You know what I mean? They weren't. They didn't have yeah. like armor and shit like that. They were. They were tribal people at the time. Um. So they didn't wear armor. They were very lightly. They 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 fought on like, just sword in their hand, climbing on people yeah. like fucking savages. To be fair, yeah. Like not to use savage in a negative term, but you know what I mean. Like not as like a racial slur, but like as a. Like, they fought like demons. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I did, 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 lost my 
lost my place. Lost my place. Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, so they must have suffered massive, massive cavalty, casualties because of the volley of javelins in the first few minutes of the battle. The Romans moved in for the kill, attacking in tight formation, stabbing with their short swords. The Britons now had little chance, and with so many of them involved in the battle, it is likely that their massive ranks worked against them by restricting their movements so they were unable to use their long swords oh. effectively. To ensure success, the Roman cavalry the Roman cavalry was released to promptly encircle the enemy and began their slaughter from the rear. Seemingly mad with bloodlust, Tacitus records that uh, 80,000 Britons, men, women, and children were killed. The Roman losses amounted to about 400 dead with a slightly larger number wounded. Boudicca was not killed in the battle, but took poison rather than be taken alive by the Romans. Boudicca was secured, has secured a special place of her own in British folk history, remembered for her courage, the warrior queen who fought the might of Rome. And in a way, she did get her revenge, as in 1902, a bronze statue of her riding high in her chariot, designed by Thomas Thornycroft, was placed in the Thames Embankment next to the House of Parliament in the old Roman capital of Britain, Londonia. The ultimate in girl power. <laughs> I love her. I love her too. It's like the British version of 300. <laughs> it's awesome. Except that yeah. in 300, I think they win. But I still want this movie. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> they did like marry Queen bad. of Scots. So we can do this one. Yes. Especially if there's a statue of her. Yeah. Of course, I haven't watched all of Britannica. I need to watch that. But, yeah. All right. So here's my next one. Um, or do we have time? Um, we have time. Yeah, we have time. Okay. So this is someone. <laughs> this is a person. Who I discovered. Yeah, I discovered her from the. I got a tidbit about her from the Office Ladies podcast. And I was like, that is a super uh-huh. interesting person. I am going to save that for a crooked news at some point. But then we did this topic and I needed something else to kind of fill out my segment. And I decided to just go ahead and grab her. So yeah. here we go. This is an article from Mental Floss. Um, it's okay. entitled, The Badass Lady Pilot Who Revolutionized the Art of Food Writing. Oh, Interesting. And she is the best name on the face of the planet. So this is written by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. And here we go. You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. In the Long Island Sound, the world's fastest nuclear submarine was cruising 200 feet beneath the waves. Sirens and horns whined as the crew tested the submarine's alarms. As usual, the USS Skipjack hummed with activity. Sailors walked purposefully through tight passageways, their buzz cuts skimming the ceilings. This, that wasn't the only buzz in the air. Word on the ship was that Clementine Paddleford was touring the galley. Yes, I love that name. Isn't that the best name ever? Clementine, Clementine, I'd love to name my daughter something like that. It was March... It's so pretty. (laughs) 
Paddleford. <laughs> Clementine Paddleford. It was March 26th, 1960, and after a year of wrangling, the U.S. Navy had finally given the 61-year-old journalist permission to board the skipjack. Now she was in the submarine's capsule kitchen, a cape around her shoulders and a notebook in hand, scoping out the 54-square-foot room where cooks prepared nearly 300 meals a day for the crew. Oh, wow. They flurried about... Making strawberry shortcake, prime rib, and endless pots of coffee, <laughs> of course, from ingredients compressed to save space. Though she was no stranger to unusual kitchens, the endeavor was nerve-wracking. Paddleford would later write that, she bo- that as she boarded the ship loaded with torpedoes, she'd been, quote, clothed in goose flesh. <laughs> Meaning she had goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> But of course, Clementine Paddleford was clothed in goose flesh. (laughs) Oh, goodness. But she hadn't worked so hard just to walk away empty-handed. She'd get her story, along with a brownie recipe that could feed 80. (laughs) Oh, wow. Whether Paddleford was inspecting a kitchen at the bottom of the ocean or piloting a plane across the country in search of new delicacies... She was a fearless pioneer, intent on uncovering tales that would resonate with American with the American public. Isn't this awesome? She's awesome. Okay. Yeah, I like her a lot. Growing up on a farm in Stockdale, Kansas, taught pa- Paddleford to to apparently I have a stutter now. Uh, taught Paddleford <laughs> to appreciate the difficulties of ushering food. Oops, sorry. I just got a spam call. Hang on. Okay. You're okay. Ushering food from field to plate. If you craved pork, you needed to kill one of the pigs out back. And her mother instilled a strong work ethic, cautioning, quote, never grow a wishbone, daughter, where your backbone ought to be. Oh. I want that on a pillow. Yes. I also want Dwight, you ignorant slut, on a pillow. (laughs) Yes, that too. (laughs) As Kelly Alexander and Cynthia Harris recount their comprehensive 2009 biography, uh, Hometown Appetites, the story of Clementine Paddleford, the forgotten food writer who chronicled how America ate, Paddleford was ambitious and nosy, spending her high school <laughs> years writing for the local newspaper. I love it. Ambitious and nosy. Local t- I know, right? Yeah. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> um... <laughs> She would head to the local train depot at 6 a.m. after her chores to stake out stories. One morning, the 15-year-old spotted a local businesswoman, sorry, businessman, boarding a train with a woman who wasn't his wife. Oh! It could have been the scoop of her young career, but the story never ran. Her father wouldn't let her file it. He's an ass. Rude. Yep. Rude. Little else could stop her. She majored in industrial journalism at Kansas State, where she was an editor at both the local college newspaper and the local paper, where she reported for as... That she had reported for as a teenager. All the while, she earned money freelancing for Kansas newspapers and farm magazines. 
After graduating, Paddleford packed her bags with notepads and pencils and left Manhattan, Kansas, for Manhattan, New York. As Alexander and Harris explain, she worked feverishly, freelancing for The Sun, The New York Telegram, and papers back in Kansas. That's awesome. Oh, wow. She made $8 per Sun story, which is a lot back then. Um, oh, yeah. $8 per Sun story, writing puff pieces like, quote, <laughs> Girl uses a fake limp to get seat. <laughs> Despite her motivation, she struggled to make ends meet and supplemented her income with babysitting, waiting tables at a seminary, writing press releases for an interior designer, and working at the at the Gimbel's umbrella counter. Oh, she was busy all the time. She was so busy. There was nothing else to do, man. Yeah. And she sounds like she was single. Yeah. So, uh, Paddleford felt like a failure. I feel like this is so important, too, because listen to how awesome she was and how much she was doing, and she yeah. still felt like a failure. Like <laughs> you can relate. <laughs> yeah. All of us. You can't chase that. You, it, no matter what your job is, I don't feel yeah. like you ever truly feel like a success. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So be happy with what you've got. You know what I mean? Once you get where you want to be. Yeah. We just all need to learn to be content. So Paddleford felt like a failure. Quote, sometimes I fairly hate New York, she unquote, She wrote to her mother. In the <laughs> spring of 1922, she attended a wedding in Chicago, and within two weeks, she'd made the Windy City her new home. Oh, wow. Paddle... I mean, me too. Paddleford prompt... <laughs> I mean, yeah. right? Paddleford promptly landed two jobs with the Agricultural News Service and the Milk Market News, making a name for herself covering everything from price-fixing scandals to shipments coming in all the way from China. Ooh. Within two years, New York had noticed. Yeah, see, that's the thing, is, like, people think, like, you go to New York and get started, but honestly, like, Chicago was a great place to get your resume built up and, like, get started first. Yeah. So that you can, like, start a little higher in New York, because it's really hard to struggle in New York. Oh, yeah. It's really expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Within two years, New York had noticed. The editors of Farm and Fireside magazine invited Paddleford to be the women's editor, and she returned to the city. She cultivated a chatty, authoritative voice, reaching out to readers directly for stories. I love her. Oh, yes. I totally would have read all of her shit. They reached back... They reached back. Response increased 179% during her tenure. Oh, wow. Unlike other editors, yeah. Unlike other editors, she refused to be chained to her desk, traipsing into Midwest farms run by women to find out how they lived. On another assignment, she reported from the home of famous flapper Clara Bow. Clara Bow? I think it's Clara Bow. Sorry. Clara Bow. In 1930, Paddleford joined the Christian Herald, the nation's largest religious newspaper. She picked up the church kitchen beat. She wrote increasingly about food, how to brew a good cup of coffee, how Dickens served Christmas pudding. At the time, most food writing was dry, short, and scientific. Journalists explained the benefits of nutrients and how to measure ingredients for recipes, but Paddleford's writing was difficult. 
and that's not at, at all what that sentence is. <laughs> Paddleford's writing was different. <laughs> <laughs> she focused on people's on people and stories behind recipes instead of just the recipes themselves. Though her turns of phrase would verge on overwrought through the years, mushrooms were quote pixie umbrellas. <laughs> Oh, the sun didn't rise when it could flame into a new day. (laughs) Her descriptions were so brilliant that readers could almost taste each dish. She tapped into their emotions, too. Quote, we all have hometown appetites, she said. Every other person is a bundle of longing for the simplicities of good taste once enjoyed on the farm or the hometown they left behind. Her words made people think about food not only as sustenance, but as an experience. Then, just as her career was blossoming, her voice became raspy. Oh. Paddleford was a no-nonsense farm girl. She wasn't going to visit the doctor over a measly sore throat. But as weeks passed, her hoarseness didn't improve. The pain became so unbearable that she finally caved and visited New York Hospital. The doctor had bad news. The 33-year-old... 33 years old... Uh Uh-oh. ...laryngeal cancer. Oh, no. Paddleford was devastated. She needed her voice. How could she do her job as a reporter without talking to people? The timing felt particularly cruel... Finally, on the cusp of a national career, finally on the cusp of a national career, she was about to lose what made her exceptional. Doctors gave her two options. They could stop the cancer by removing her larynx and vocal cords, leaving her completely unable to speak. Or she could undergo a partial laryngectomy, a new and unpredictable procedure that removed part of her larynx. In this case, though, she would risk a relapse. There was only one answer for Paddleford. She needed to speak. Yeah. Surgeons removed part of her larynx and inserted a permanent tracheotomy tube. Oh, that blows. She was 33. Oh, no. For the rest of her life, she'd have to breathe through a hole in her throat, but she could talk. To speak, she had to press a button on the side of her throat to allow air to pass through her mouth. Though it took her a year to speak above a whisper... Within six months of the surgery, she was back to work. A black velvet ribbon wrapped around her throat to hide the hole. Oh. Her low, grating voice didn't stop her from reporting in her tip- with her typical vigor. She'd later say it was a blessing in disguise. People never forget me. Oh, hey. That's a good <laughs> way to look at it. Right? In March of 1936... She took over the New York Herod, Herald Tribune's market. Blah, 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 New York Herald Tribune's market column. She woke. She woke before dawn and hustled to the markets to file copy about produce prices. It wasn't her creative dream, but Paddleford saw it as a strategic move. Yeah, as a strategic move, the opportunity to write about food full time. She didn't just. She didn't just travel to do her reporting. She flew to a Piper Cub. She flew a Piper. Oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> can't, can't speak anymore. It's fine. <clears throat> 
The decision wasn't simply born out of a passion for good eating, it was also business savvy. In the waning years of the Great Depression, Paddleford wanted a steady income from a beat she knew she could keep she knew would keep people interested even in hard times. So she wanted something recession proof, basically. Yeah. Food is recession proof. People always need to eat. Yep. So uh, brainstorming what people needed most, she wound up on shoes and food. And obviously, she liked food better. <laughs> <laughs> that bet paid off. Her singular voice was a perfect fit for a regular column. Reader response nearly tripled in her first year. Soon, she was the paper's food editor. And by 1940, she became, she'd become the food editor of the nationally syndicated Sunday magazine This Week. Oh, wow. Her work was game-changing. Paddleford was the first American writer to approach food with as much respect and research as other journalists did with the established serious topics. She used, she used, as, she used it as a vehicle to talk about the Republican National Convention in Philadelphia and the New York World's Fair. When Winston Churchill visited Missouri in 1946, most reporters parsed his Iron Curtain's parsed his his iron curtain speech paddleford wrote about the buffet menu <laughs> she traveled the country that's what i want to know about churchill you know what i'm saying yeah i want to know his favorite soap and what he ate <laughs> she traveled the country looking for good food and good stories in the cooking pots at hobo conventions and the pantries at governor's mansions in the kitchens of fine restaurants in new orleans louisiana and in the galley of of an 85 foot yacht sailing the gulf of mexico she cajoled kitchen secrets out of everyone from actress joan crawford to caterers at the rich carlton from the late by the late 1940s she was filing stories from sugar shacks in vermont salmon canneries in alaska and trailer homes in florida traveling more than 50,000 miles a year as a roving food editor it was more than a full-time job paddleford worked 12-hour days starting a column each day at 5 a.m oh my god (laughs) Surrounded by a personal library of 1,900 cookbooks, she guzzled coffee and, to save time, typed in a personalized shorthand. A secretary translated (laughs) it. (laughs) When she visited the office, she brought her cats. She didn't just travel to do her reporting. She flew a a Piper Cub plane. Between 1948 and 1960, she logged more than 800,000 miles, enough mileage to span the globe 31 times. Oh my god. In her private life, she kept track of her male friends, according to what they ate. She almost (laughs) never cooked at home. One of her two maids prepared her dinner, which she'd she'd eat at her desk. (laughs) She was an educator... Uh, exposing the country to new dishes and she was practical during world war ii she tested turtle beaver bear and whale as substitutes for rationed beef and she promoted american attempts right and she promoted american attempts at european cheeses her recipe however called for cheez-its and canned mushroom soup more than more often than they called for truffles and fresh lobster yeah love it she was writing for like the people and not just 
Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Not just the elite. That's how you get yeah. people to buy the magazine. You appeal to the masses, not the top 2%. The work paid off. Paddleford earned a salary of $25,000, which was a which would be uh, $250,000 a year today. Oh, God. Right? More important, she became American... uh, More important, she became America's steward of regional food, the first person to celebrate the nation's cuisine as uniquely multicultural. Quote, Tell me where your grandmother came from, and I can tell you how many kinds of pie you serve for Thanksgiving, (laughs) she wrote in 1960. I love it. At Paddleford's height, and this is like how you instill pride in your nation right here. Yeah. At Paddleford's height in the 19 in the late 50s, roughly 12 million households read her columns. In 1960, she published How America Eats, a collection of regional recipes and stories. It was enormously successful and went through several print runs, but then other writers had begun to stake claims in her in in Paddleford's territory. By then, other writers had begun to stake claims in Paddleford's territory. Uh-oh. Food writing was now a legitimate enterprise, and people wanted more. But when she died in 1967, the genre she created forgot her. Her name was eclipsed by new television food personalities. Julia Child's The French Chef went on to air in 1963. By 1969, her book was out of print. The work that had consumed her life was carried on by other writers who recalled her name only dimly, and as years passed, not at all. Still, Paddleford's work survives in the many magazines, books, and television shows now devoted to food, as well as the realization that taste, culture, and the diversity of America are all vividly reflected in what we eat. Yeah. Paddleford didn't just discover that, she embraced it, weaving stories with a voice that doctors only feared, that doctors once feared would never speak again. Its influence has been heard and has helped nourish people all over the world. I love this woman. Oh my God. So I, I just kind of did a Google search on her just to like see Mm -hmm. what would come up. And there is a book um, called Clementine Paddleford Rum Recipe Book, New Easy Ways to Cook with Rum. Love it. Um, The condition is used very good. And take a guess on how much it is. A thousand dollars. No, that's way too high. Okay, how much? Sixty bucks. Oh wow, that's not bad. Yeah, for a super old book, but still, this is amazing. Though this is the person that made it possible for us to have cooking shows. Yeah. That's why I get, this is why I, I get Food Network Magazine. I read, and you read all the different articles about food and all this stuff. Like, food is how we experience culture, and it tells you so much about a culture and about a country. Yeah. And about people and where they're from. Like, food is the ultimate nostalgia. And so, I don't know. I just think this is amazing. She's an amazing woman, and we totally forgot about her, and we need to talk about her again. Holy shit. 
How America Eats on Amazon is $1,002. Yeah, it's out of print. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that's cool, yeah, but it's... It's out of print. It's limited yeah. edition. That's so cool. Like, goals. One yeah. day. One day when I've got $1,000 to throw away. <laughs> I was like, huh, if I could find this and get this for you, that would be a great, like, Christmas present or something. And then I saw that, nope. and I was like, nope. <laughs> like, you could get me a poster Cannot afford it. that. A poster of the book cover. Yeah. <laughs> a poster. That's so funny. All right, lady, let's take a quick break. Okay. Okay, we're back. Hi, everyone. Um, Hi. Okay, so I did have a listicle uh, from Business Insider. It's written really well, and I'm really excited about it, but um, we we might get to that. Worst case, I'll save it for something else, but I got inspired while Carrie was doing her segment, uh, and <laughs> okay. I remembered someone who is fucking amazing, um... And was also a journalist who exposed some really bad shit in mental asylums. So this is from... Oh, wow. Yeah. This is from thewashingtonpost.com. Um, and it was written by... Let's see. Diane Bernard. It was published July 28, 2019. So she went undercover to expose an insane asylum's horrors. Now Nellie Bly is getting her due. So, the abuses described by the pioneering female journalist in nineteen or in eighteen eighty seven led to reforms. Eighteen eighty seven. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. She she is gorgeous too. She has like the best eyes ever. Um. When she went undercover in a New York nice. City insane <laughs> asylum in eighteen eighty seven, Nellie Bly was surrounded by a world of grim horror. Um, nearly all night long, I listened to a woman cry about the cold and beg for God to let her die. Oh, shit. Another one. Yeah. That's where we're starting. <laughs> uh-huh. Um. So I made, the, made everyone feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and you're about to drag us into the cold and wet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens. Cool. But... <laughs> but it's good that she did this because it got these insane asylums shut down for doing the shit that they were doing. Yeah. Oh, so, of course. Yeah, it's, it's got some... We're at a pretty rough start. <laughs> but at the end, uh, things kind of got better. Um, so another one yelled murder there. at frequent intervals and police at others until my felt... Until my flesh felt creepy. Um, Bly wrote about her first night in the institution and her expose for Joseph Pulitzer's New York World. Um, Bly's covert operation exposing abuses at the asylum at Blackwell's Island, now Roosevelt Island, pioneered a path for women in newspapers and launched what morphed into serious investigative journalism. The account by the 23-year-old girl detective shocked the public with its deception of brutality and violence. Depiction of brutality and violence. Um, 
Now the journalism pioneer is getting her own monument at the very site she wrote about. Um, with the city that's looking, cool, right? Um, with the city looking to create more public art celebrating women, Roosevelt Island leaders plan to pay tribute to the groundbreaking reporter, according to art news site Hyper Allergic. Never heard of that, but if you like art, <laughs> um, that's interesting. Um, she was an extraordinary woman. Susan Rosenthal, president of the Roosevelt Island Operating Corps, said of Nellie Bly in a phone interview. Rosenthal said that her organization is sponsoring a competition for an artist to create the memorial, which can be a standard sculpture or a digital or interactive creation. The group plans to unveil the piece, which has a budget of $500,000 in the spring of 2020. Yeah. I I mean, like, it's great that she's getting a sculpture or something, but also I think some of that money would be better spent on people who have serious mental health issues that need help that are not... Probably. That is not, like, putting them... Because, like, it's great that she got this... It's great that she mm-hmm. exposed all this shit, but the answer was not no. to shut them down because we still yeah. need mental health facilities. The answer yeah. was to make them correct. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think it yep. was Reagan who was just like, no, Every- fuck it. <laughs> Everything that down, sucks started with Reagan. <laughs> True. He's the reason we have fucking credit scores. He's the He's the reason. The reason for the season. <laughs> the reason for the season of hate. Ronald yes. Reagan. Um, we apparently didn't learn that TV stars were not the answer for the presidency. And we did it again. No, apparently we didn't. I think Arnold may have done a good job in California, though. I'm not sure. I think he did. But also, that's not the presidency. That's one state. No, it's not. That's a governorship. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he wasn't born in America, I don't yeah. think. So I don't think he can be president. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's a link to an article here. The first woman to start a bank, a black woman. Oh, wow. Finally gets her due in the Confederacy's capital. Oh, damn. So that's something we should maybe look at later. Yeah. Um, for 10 days, Bly, who was born Elizabeth Cochran um, and was born outside of Pittsburgh, lived side by side with women who were suicidal, violent, and psychotic, as well as perfectly sane women who were mistakenly confined to the institution. Ugh, of course. Um, I would put mistakenly in air quotes. Yep. Because if you were loud and your family didn't want to deal with you or your husband didn't want to deal with you, they just threw you in there. Yep. <laughs> so... Um, there were people in there with everything from like Down syndrome to ADD to schizophrenia. Yeah. Uh, writing as Nellie Bly, a and pen name. also like if you were just gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, writing as Nellie Bly, make America great again. <laughs> um. Writing as Nellie Bly, a pen name taken from a Stephen Foster song, she was a courageous crusader to let herself be committed into an insane asylum with no guarantee that she'd be able to leave, said Brooke Kroger, author of Nellie Bly, Daredevil Reporter Feminist, in an interview. Um, 
she was part of the stunt girl movement that was very important in the 1880s and 1890s as these big mass circulation yellow journalism papers came into the fore. For a. After working for the Pittsburgh Dispatch for a few years, Bly got the dangerous assignment to infil- infiltrate the infamous. Wow, I can't talk today. Infiltrate the infamous asylum from Joseph Pulitzer himself after she blustered her way into his offices. Um, yeah, she didn't just get the assignment. She begged for it. And was like, hey, I know something's going on. Let me go in there. Um. Wow. Yeah. She promised Pulitzer she could deliver a major story. And Ugh. impressed by her moxie, he Damn. gave her a whopper of an assignment. To go undercover at the asylum with no guidance, even on how to gain entry, never mind how to get out. Isn't this kind of the plot of Asylum on American Horse, the season of Asylum, American Horror Story? Not really. Isn't that what Sarah Parsons' character does? No. She doesn't, um... Oh, I thought she went in undercover. I haven't seen that in a really long time, and I hated that season, so... She, um... She went, like... They knew she was a reporter and everything. She went, she saw stuff that she didn't need to see. And she ended up in the hospital. And her, um, the person who's the head of the asylum, who is played by, what's her face? Um, uh, yes. Jessica. Jessica Lange. Yeah. She goes to this woman's girlfriend and is like, hey, I know that you both are gay. Um, if you sign her over to me, I won't put you in the asylum and I'll make sure that she's taken care of. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I can't rem- I couldn't remember any of that. Yeah, it, it was bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do like watching it around Christmas because of the Christmas episode. Um, but that's, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. He's- um. Okay. So, in her first piece for a major metropolitan, major metropolitan daily. I'm sorry. I'm really stuffy, and it makes it hard to talk. Um, it's okay. In late September 1887, Bly threw herself into the role of a deranged woman to get committed. Bly practiced looking insane in front of a mirror with the idea that faraway expressions have a crazy air. She wrote in her article. Then she checked herself into a working-class boarding house, hoping to frighten the other boarders so much that they would kick her out. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Um, Right. There's a character, sorry, there's a character on Orange is the New Black who does this. Oh, yeah. She, like, acts crazy so that she can talk to her boyfriend on a secret cell phone in a bathroom stall. (laughs) Nice. So she acts like she's nuts so that it sounds like she's talking to herself in the stall and no one questions it. That's smart. Um, Yeah. Using the name Nellie Brown, she pretended she was from Cuba and ranted that she was searching for, quote unquote, missing trunks. Her ruse worked and the police were called. She had a hearing at a New York City court where a judge ordered her to Blackwell's Island, which at the time held a poorhouse, a smallpox hospital, a prison, and the insane asylum. Oh, wow. So this is not an island where you want to go. No, this sounds awful. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's like um, a one-way ticket kind of place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ugh. Um, 
The horrid condition of the food in the mess hall was her first dose of deprivation. Tea tasted as if it had been made in copper, she writes. Ew! Bread was spread with rancid butter. Um, when she got a plain piece, it was hard with a dirty black color. I found a spider in my slice, so I did not eat it. Oh, that's disgusting. Yep. The oatmeal and molasses served at the meal was wretched. The next day, she was served soup with one cold boiled potato and a chunk of beef, which on investigation proved to be slightly spoiled. Oh, my God. To add to the torment, Bly wrote, the building was freezing. The drought went whizzing through the hall, and the patients looked blue with cold. Within her, f- This still happens in prisons, just so everyone knows. Yeah. This still happens in prisons. That's why felons need to have voter rights so that we can have prison reform. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and prisons do not need to be owned privately. Um, no. Because yeah. this happens. It's whatever to cut costs and they don't care because you're prisoners and you shouldn't have done what you did to get yeah. in there in the first place, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, within her first few days, she was forced to take an ice cold bath and dirty water, sharing two coarse towels among 45 patients. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's unsanitary two and disgusting. For 45 people. I need two towels for one person because my hair is so long and thick. Like, <laughs> no. Um, my teeth. Exactly. <laughs> my Ugh. teeth chattered and my limbs were goose fleshed with and blue with cold. Suddenly, I got one after the other three buckets of water over my head, ice cold water too, into my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth. I think I experienced the sensation of a drowning person as they dragged me, gasping, shivering, and quaking from the tub. For once, I did look insane. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, that would make anyone crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, Despite the autumn chill, Bly and the other inmates were given threadbare dresses with poorly fitted undergarments after the frigid baths. Take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her... Shut her up and make her sit from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. on straight black benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. Oh, my God. True. Um, they Absolutely. also apparently got, like, beaten with brooms. Yeah, um. Sorry, yeah. I'm eating a cookie. <laughs> uh, blind. You're okay. Bly made a point of talking to as many women as she could. Among the same ones, she found that many were immigrants who didn't understand English and seemed to have been mistakenly committed to the island. Oh my god! Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, others Oh my god, this fucking country. I can't. Yeah. Um, others were just poor and thought they were going to the poorhouse, not an insane asylum. What? Mm-hmm. All related horrible stories of neglect and heartless cruelty. Oh my god. Um. Ugh. Oh, okay. We might want to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this. Yeah. <laughs> um. Miss Cotter, a pretty delicate woman, told Bly that for crying, the nurses beat me with a broom handle and jumped on me. 
injuring me internally so that I shall never get over it. She said the nurse then tied her hands and feet, threw a sheet over her head to muffle her screams, and put her in a bathtub of cold water. No! They held, nope. yep, they held me under until I gave up every hope and became senseless. Nope. Um, the beatings I got there were something dreadful, Bridget McGinnis told Bly. I was pulled around by the hair, held under the water until I strangled, and was I was choked and kicked. It was hopeless to complain to the doctors, for they always said it was the imagination of our diseased brains. Oh my and besides, god! And besides, another beating for telling. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Oh no. No, this is why this was so important. Because this was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, but the answer was to just close them all down. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm sure that was the... No, oh, that means that we don't need mental health facilities. <laughs> no. I'm sorry? I'm sure that no. was the easy answer. <laughs> but it was not the answer that was needed. Oh, fuck yeah. him. He's the worst. Nurses drugged inmates with so much morphine and chloral that... Him, Trump, and Nixon can go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nurses dragged inmates with so much more Drugged inmates with so much morphine and chloral that the patients are made crazy. The attendants seem to find amusement and pleasure in exciting the violent patients to do their worst. Um, exhausted and starving, Bly was relieved when, ten days after her entry into the asylum, lawyers from the New York world arranged for her release. Those, mm-hmm. Though sorry to leave Thank the suffering God. women, Bly was eager to write about what she had seen. Well, she had to leave so she could publish this and get them the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was a definite I'll come back for you <laughs> moment. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> oh, God. Two days later, on October 9th, 1887, the New York World printed the first part of Light's two-part illustrated series on the front page of the Sunday feature section. The blaring headlines of the second installment enticed readers. Inside the Madhouse, Nellie Bly's experience in the Blackwell's Island Asylum, how the city's unfortunate wards are fed and treated, the terrors of cold baths and cruel, unsympathetic nurses. Um, Bly's first-person account of... Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Bly's first-person account of abuse shocked the public. Writers like Charles Dickens and Margaret Fuller had toured insane asylums and written about them. But mm -hmm. those were guided tours and they didn't see much. Oh, yeah, that's true. If they know that you're coming, mm -hmm. they're going to show you something different. Yep. Which is what's so fucked because they, oh, yeah. that 100% shows that they knew that what they were doing was wrong. And they were just awful fucking oh, yeah. people. Oh, yeah. They were all psychotic. Like, actually psychotic. Yeah. Um, well, and there were some instances where, like, patients who had been there for a long time just, like, got promoted to be doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. And that's not how that works. No. Nope. <laughs> you don't, when you're in prison and a criminal, you don't get, you know, to promoted to be a guard. <laughs> no, you do not. <laughs> Not that, you know, not that mental health is, like, a criminal place, but yeah. you know what I'm saying. Like, you don't... No. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. not how that works. You don't gain a medical degree. Um, 
Yeah. Of course, it was the 1800s. So, of course, we've talked about how medical school yeah. was two weeks and a slap on the ass. So, <laughs> to- <laughs> um, But still. To succeed at feigning insanity and live to write about it was an extraordinary feat, Kroger writes in her book. As the achievement of a woman journalist in this period, its brilliance was blinding. Fame is ignited and spread fast and far. The story was so explosive that uh, competing newspapers produced their own accounts of how Bly succeeded in her dangerous work just to join in on the expose. Oh my god. Yeah. Because uh, that's what Fuck they all do. People. <laughs> Meanwhile, city officials began investigating <laughs> the institution. A month later, a grand jury panel went with Bly to visit the asylum. Um, but it was too late. Inmates who told Bly of their treatment had been transferred or released. Buildings no! had been scrubbed down and patients had better food and water. Uh huh. Oh, suddenly now it's fine. Mm. Ugh. That's what Scientology does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they send the kids in their concentration camps away so that they don't see how the kids look. Um, well, right. And then they also, like, it came out that they were forcing people to get abortions and now they don't do that yeah. anymore. Uh, but they absolutely do encourage it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, um, no, we don't have fair game policy. We just don't call it that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But despite the cover-up, the grand jury believed what Bly had written. Shortly after the visit, officials added nearly $1 million to the asylum's budget, an enormous amount for 1887. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Bly's two-part series was released as a book two months later called Ten Days in a Madhouse. Ooh, I want to read that. But I um, also don't, because it sounds terrible. <laughs> And there's, I know that there's a movie that was made on it, and I'm sure there have been many of those. Oh, wow. But yeah. yeah. Um, Bly established her reputation as a stunt girl with a social justice bent. She went on to write exposés of baby selling rackets and harsh conditions for factory workers. Um, mm-hmm. That's yeah. awesome. Two years later, Bly made an even bigger splash with her series following the same route as the Phileas Fogg character in Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days. She made the trip to in 72 days to much acclaim. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. When she returned, she expected a bonus or more recognition, but Joseph Pulitzer barely acknowledged her feat. In response, Bly quit the New York world in disgust. Nice. Um, don't blame her. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Nellie Bly didn't return to journalism until much later in life, when she covered the Eastern Front during World War I, according to Kroger's book. Oh, she man. She died of pneumonia in 1922 at age 57, but her groundbreaking 10 days in a madhouse ushered wow. in a new age of newspaper writing. Of, like, investigated, like, real investigative yeah. journalism and stuff. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, Yeah. So I like that story better <laughs> than what I had before. Yeah, that was great. Um, good job. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, and the other stuff is like really good. It's just I might save it. Yeah. For, like, we'll have another use for it. Yeah. That was better than just like lists of people anyway. So yeah. that's awesome. Good job. Thank you. Very awesome. All right. Shall we play a game? We shall. All right. So this is our game by Drunk, Stoned, or Stupid called If You Had To. And is it your turn, I believe? Yes. 
I think it's your it turn is. to go first. So if you had to. I think we've had this card, though. That's okay. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> They'll be in different combinations. Right. Uh, this one is find out that all your friends and family are paid actors or. Or everyone knows everything about you. Oh, fuck. Everything. I pick mine. I pick mine. I'm pretty boring. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty boring, too, but also I don't... I'm so private. I can't. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But also, like, finding out that all your friends and family are paid actors is, like, one of my worst fears. (laughs) So... Oh, same. eh, But, like... uh, (laughs) That's, like... I mean, sometimes I use a vibrator in the shower. (laughs) Like, that's, like... (laughs) My weirdest. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty boring. Eh. It's hypothetical. <laughs> I pick mine. <laughs> all right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. We hope all of you are staying safe. Yeah. And warm. Um, hopefully, it's March now, so hopefully things are starting to warm up. Daylight savings Yuck. is about to come to a close, so we're about to spring forward in the next couple of weeks when this airs, so yay! Um, it won't be dark at 5.30 anymore, so like, one of the good advantage, one of the good things of being in, in quarantine during winter is that um, it kind of went by kind of fast. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> um, and also, you know... A lot of us were still at home or are working part-time or something, so we weren't, you know, going to work in the dark and leaving in the dark, which was nice for me, at least, this year. That was a really welcome change. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I got some sun exposure this winter, which was really great for my uh, seasonal affective disorder, so I didn't feel like I suffered quite as much (laughs) this year. Um, Yeah. But... Anyway, uh, we love you guys very, very much. Please keep wearing your masks. Hopefully, we're all going to get vaccinated soon. Um, And remember, you are not a monster. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Talk Crooked. Music is by Gisla Niebach. Check out our website, talkcrooked.wixsite.com slash podcast for sources and visual aids, as well as resources to get involved. To keep up with our nonsense and stay up to date on all things Crooked, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook at Talk Crooked. To keep the shots coming, access ex- exclusive bonus content, get a free poster, and a shout out on air, head on over to our Patreon. All links can be found on our website. You can listen to us basically anywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have interesting stories relating to our content, please send them to talkcrooked at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on the show. For business inquiries or sponsorships, please email us at carryandkbusiness at gmail.com. See you next time. <laughs>